Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. And today we're not going too far from where we're located. We're going to talk to the CEO, the owner, Kara Chisholm of CC Entertainment. And we're going to find out more about what she does and where she's been to school and so on. So, Kara, let's start with your academic background. Where did you go to school? Sure. Um, Well, I was born and raised in North York um, with my parents and uh, two siblings. Which which uh, means Toronto, for those who may not know. That's true. Yeah, it is an extension of Toronto. It's all, all one now. Um, and then uh, up till the end of high school, and then I wanted to pursue, I thought, the arts, but I ended up pursuing more of the sciences. I <laughs> uh, wasn't quite ready to make the, the change to arts and see how I could do. I was a little bit nervous about uh, doing a career in the arts, being um, a little bit more unstable than some other careers that I could choose. So I ended up going to University of Toronto to study uh, both phys ed and as my major and um, science as my minor. So it was really interesting. It was um, a great fun. It was a great um, time to mature and learn so many different things. And I'm glad that I did what I did. I got the degree, got through. (laughs) My dad said, get the degree. (laughs) Don't give up on it. But because in third year, uh, we had a talent show. And this is what kind of started the wheels turning it towards the entertainment business. I entered it with all my other, you know, cohorts, other, other classmates. We put this big uh, talent show together. And when I came up to rehearsal, they said, well, what instrument can you play? And I said, I can sing. <laughs> so we formulated this band, which was about 16 of us. And we had a whole brass section, everything. And we ended up being lifelong friends and we still I still know quite a few of them from the band and um, yeah we had such a great time and people were saying to me at the end of it what are you doing in science (laughs) and is that why aren't you up on the stage and I said well just I don't know if I can do this that kind of career so I promised myself when I graduated that I would uh, audition and try it and I didn't even know that you had to have an eight by ten at, for your, you know, for your audition and a resume, which I had nothing very much on other than what I'd done in high school. I was a, I was the jazz singer in high school. I was the choir soloist, a few things like that. And actually, one of the things that did happen in grade thirteen, grade thirteen, because we used to have grade thirteen, <laughs> um, was the production of Greece was going on in our high school, and I auditioned for it. And there aren't too many singers that can really sing in in a high school in any particular year. So I figured I was a shoe in for it, but the problem was I was also a national champion at the time in baton twirling, which is um, the equivalent to rhythmic gymnastics, but with a baton. At the world level, it's incredible. In fact, today, the Japanese dominate the sport because they pour big money into it. They have a school of baton twirling, kind of like what we have here for the school of ballet. And so at the world level, it's just incredible what they can do. Um, And I became a five-time Canadian champion in it. And I represented Canada all over the world for a couple of years. And um, so with that, um, I 
yeah, I had a bit of that. So they, they had awarded me, going back to the Grease story, <laughs> they awarded me with not a singing role, but Patty Simcox, who does baton twirling. And I said, I didn't audition to be a baton twirler when I do that all the time. I auditioned to do a singing role. And the girl that got Sandy, which I thought I was right for, couldn't even sing. But she had blonde hair. And I thought, well, you could have got a wig, you know. So it was just weird, and but it also kind of shirked my confidence, and I thought, maybe I can't do this, you know, maybe I'm just not right for this. And so when I went back to it, or I promised myself I would try this business, the first thing I auditioned for was Cats, and it was held at the Elgin Theatre in Toronto, and at the time it was the first big, large musical of its kind in Canada by Marlene Smith and Company, who I did work for in another show. But I auditioned for Cats and got to the final three. And they said, we're going to put you in a file because we're not, we're going on tour across Canada. We're not sure who's going to make it into, you know, the, the show. And um, they came back and said, nobody's giving up their contract. Everybody's going on tour. And that was the end of that. So I started auditioning for other things. So there was my education and my education continued in a different uh, area. And that was music. And I started taking lessons at the Royal Conservatory of Music, which have some amazing uh, instructors, teachers, and I did some private lessons there. But I think I, if I was to say where I learned the most in, in my education in entertainment would be actually being on the stage with other phenomenal actors and singers, and as well as working with the individual musical directors of some of these shows that I ended up in. So that's, that's my education. <laughs> okay. So. so let's start on the work thing. After you did all this education and learning, you started to work for a living. I did. <laughs> and where? Well, um, many, many places. Uh, I, I was lucky enough to be one of those actors, singers, dancers, because I could do all three. Um, my baton twirling gave me the dance background because I worked with a ballerina too, to um, work on my arms. There was just so many things. Um, it was a very unsophisticated sport, baton at the time, but... I started to sophisticate it by taking individual lessons from coaches that could improve areas of um, weakness that I needed to fix up in terms of um, in terms to compete at the world level. And it did work. It did help. And it carried over into the entertainment business. Absolutely. Because the whole thing of being able to come up with it when it's the right time to come up with it, which is under pressure when you go into an audition, um, it paralleled me being on, on a, you know, in the middle of a gym floor by myself in the middle of the Yogi Stadium in Japan, which I represented Canada as the gold medalist there, uh, in front of 30,000 fans, the place was sold out when we had the world championships held in Japan. And so to stand out there and in front of all these people and be able to, to perform it and do it well, uh, that kind of pressure was the same kind of pressure that I felt in, in entertainment. And so uh, it did me well. Because when I went for an audition, I knew that I had to compete. I had to compete hard. I had to be good. I, I had one shot at it, and that's that. And so I 
started my career right away. And even though Katz wasn't hiring anybody, I went on to uh, do a show for her uh, at the Waterfall Showplace at Ontario Place, actually, and we worked together. And then it just went from show to show to show. I, I sold um, cars for GM, not sold them, but I mean, I sold them as an entertainer on a turntable across Canada, singing and dancing about the GM cars. <laughs> so that was a really fun um, gig, well paid. At the time, they had huge budgets then, GM. Um, and then went back and started to audition for musicals. And I won a part in a show that I had no tap dancing experience in. It was all about tap dancing. But again, my ability to persevere and compete and say, I'm still going to get in there. I'm good. Um, I bought myself a really expensive pair of tap shoes <laughs> to look like I knew what I was doing. And I went into the audition and tapped my head off and, you know, sold it from here up and learned how to do that and got in without really knowing how to tap. And I got a lead part and it was a funny part. And I ended up being reviewed and actually more reviewed than even the lead performer. So that really ticked her off. Um, but it was fun. It was a great uh, introduction into musicals. And I fell in love with it, that whole scene. And it was a uh, it was at the Limelight Dinner Theater. I don't know if you ever recall that at Davisville there and Young. It's no longer, but um, it was a lot of fun to do that. And then in the middle of that, I auditioned for a show that was coming into town, and I didn't know anything about it, Les Miserables. <clears throat> and I went to the O'Keefe Center to see, I think it was Liza Minnelli perform, and I saw the album sitting in the front lobby, Les Miserables. And I'm like, what is this? And so I bought an album. And I went home and I started playing it. And I went, huh, I can play this part. This part is mine. And so I started to rehearse for the part. And I found out that the auditions were coming up. And I was in this limelight show. Uh, 42nd Street was the musical. And um, yeah, I went to line up with all the others. I I'd had an agent, but I didn't have an agent. She was kind of she was kind of out of commission for a bit. So during that time, she kind of missed out because I got in line with the, yeah, I don't know how many auditions for Limits. I, I heard them over 4,000. And there were a lot in Toronto. The bulk were in Toronto. And I lined up and kept working my way up the stairs, got to the top of the stairs. And I kept hearing in the audition room, thank you. And they were getting cut after eight bars. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've been lining up for hours and I'm going to just be cut after eight bars but no I got into the room and I sang through my song and they didn't stop me and I thought okay this is a good sign but I was also pretty nervous that I wasn't being stopped because I thought this doesn't seem right <laughs> so when I finished they said do you have anything else to sing and I went because <gasps> I really only had one other song and it was very similar to the song I had just sung so I sung it anyway <laughs> and, and this is where I was very blue you know with not knowing what to do in auditions and I, you're supposed to bring contrasting song this was not, but anyway, it was another song. And they said, great, we're gonna call you in about you know six weeks for a callback. And what happened is four callbacks after that, I was in the final auditions for um, the leading part of Cosette, which was the gal on the, on the record that I had listened to and said I could do this role. And uh, Ed and David Mervish were there, um, Claude-Michel Schomburg and Alain Bablil, who uh, wrote the musical Les Miserables were there. Anybody that was anybody was at that table, and it was pretty scary uh, walking into this panel. And I auditioned. I did a great job, and I but I fell too on the floor. <laughs> I thought that wasn't going to go too too well, but they all laughed, and I had to laugh too. 
I was wearing um, shoes and they didn't like them because they weren't of the period time. So they said she wouldn't wear shoes like that. So kick them off. So I went, okay. So I was in my stocking feet and the director from New York had um, sort of taken me through the paces of what I should do and where I should go in this song. And I slipped because it was tile, tile floor in the basement of a, of a, I think a church is where they had the final auditions. It was interesting. <laughs> so I didn't hear for a couple of months and I thought I didn't get in. And I thought, wow, I got so close. And then all of a sudden I thought, I'll pick up the phone because I need some closure here. And I called down to Mervish's and I got the producer of Les Mis um, for some fun, funny reason. I got him on the phone and I mentioned my name and it was, oh, well, hi, Carrie. Yeah, we're just typing up your contract actually today. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is how I found out. Uh, I said, what? What do you mean? And they said, well, you're in. You're in our cast of Les Miserables. And I went, what? <laughs> you know, so my parents took me out for um, you know, celebration dinner, and that was the launch of me being in some pretty large musicals. And I was in that show for three years. I actually got to play. I was the only one that ever played both Eponine and Cosette at different times. And it was because I had that kind of voice, I had that kind of range that could hit both belt notes, which Eponine sings, that's the type of singing she does. And then Cosette, who is like a high soprano, you know, coloratura soprano, really, she hits high Cs. And so it taught me a lot. I learned a lot. I had, there was Stratford performers like Graham Campbell. He was amazing. Um, just veteran people in this company. And I thought, who am I <laughs> to be in this cast? And it's, again, that perseverance, that drive that you will not give up till you get it. And I didn't. And so it was a great career. It was a great three-year run with the show. So you talked about at one of your performances going to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> tell, the, tell the audience about that one. Yeah. Well, this was another show I got into um, several years later after Les Mis. I had done some other smaller theater to get more than just Les Mis on my, on my um, resume <laughs> to build it a bit. And then I auditioned for uh, live entertainment and got in uh, to do Phantom of the Opera. And uh, that was a great spectacle of a show. I My favorite slam is because it's a people's story, but Phantom was amazing too in terms of its spectacality and like the costumes and everything. And um, yeah, we were on tour. I did the North American tour of uh, the Phantom of the Opera and I got to play the princess role. And I also played uh, Christine as well um, on occasion. And it was it was a wonderful tour. We had a great time, and I could have gone on to Singapore, Hong Kong. I was invited to do go on with the tour, but I had been on tour a lot. <laughs> and I said, it's time to put some roots down in, in Toronto again, and I did. So I started my um, my launch into film and television. So. Oh, hold on now. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't remember hearing about this television. And <laughs> well, I mean, again. Talk about that. Sure. Uh, well, again, it, it, it's great to be a triple threat. If you can be in this business, you're going to work more. And that's what happened for me is that I, for the first time, said, gee, it'd be kind of neat to do some films or movies or something. And I didn't really know anything about it at all. It's a totally different medium than standing in front of a, a big audience and, and projecting. You know, it, it's it's called bring it down <laughs> in front of a camera. Bring it down and be real, be neutral, you know, be normal. Um, and so that took a while. I took some acting lessons with Actra. And and then I, I struck it 
big in a couple of movies. I I got a part in a movie with Bette Midler. Um, I got a part in a movie with uh, Jamie Foxx, who's done a lot of movies. Um, yeah, you just, you know, it's kind of, it's being in the, in the right place at the right time and doing the right job, <laughs> doing the right audition. And uh, I remember the Jamie Foxx role was a, a bit of a fluke. Um, the girl who had the role in the movie uh, was pregnant. And they went to film that night and it poured rain. And then they wanted to rebook for another night because they didn't want rain. And she couldn't make that night. And so the role went back out to anybody that wanted to audition for it. And I had not auditioned it for it the first time around. So they sent me the sides. Sides are a, a small piece of the script to work on, to come and audition with. And they gave me a description of what I was to look like, which was Rosedale Rich. <laughs> And whatever Rosedale Rich is, so my interpretation was um, nice slacks, nice sweater, and um, boofy hair. So I put rollers in my hair, and when I got there, nobody else had rollers in their hair, like or you know the puffy look. And I thought, oh, I really blew this. And so I went in with this puffy hair, and he loved it. Why? I looked exactly like the girl who got the role, mm -hmm. but younger. So they had a had some trouble trying to make me look older. <laughs> So I was supposed to be like a character, like a, a young Nancy Reagan in the back of this cab with um, um, my bald, big, fat husband. This is the way they had pictured it, very comedic. It's a comedic role. And um, Jamie Foxx has stolen this cab, and he's in the front of it hitting on me in the back. So <laughs> it was just the most ridiculous scene. And the funny thing is, when the movie came out, it was completely scrapped, including all the other people that came in and out of the taxi. It was on HBO, and I was in it. But on HBO, they kept the scene. But they had to trim it for um, theaters, I guess, or what for whatever reason. And because it was a very funny scene, like we get out, and then some other people get in, and it was a long scene. So... But it was um, it was at a time where I was looking to pay off my car, and I paid off my car. <laughs> it was good money. So, um, yeah, I was young and and didn't really know much about all that, and I did learn it. And then I ended up getting on other TV series as a, a regular person, um, like Traders. Um, I don't know if you remember that TV series, Traders. And so I was a you know stock person, stock market person, um, trader. Traders is on again now, isn't it? Is it? Oh, yeah, you might see me here and there. So, I was every once in a while on it. But um, yeah, it was it was a good it was a good little run. And I did some other movies. I also did some stand-in work and some um, body double work. I did. I was Ashley Judd's body double um, for a lot of things. Um, I played in a scene uh, for a young boy uh, on my knees. And uh, Meryl Streep was doing the film, and that's why I decided to take this stand-in job because I wouldn't have taken it otherwise. But it was eight weeks, and um, it's it was in the winter, and in the winter, not much films in, in Canada. It's dead. So this particular film was, and so I thought, I'm going to jump on board because I can get to watch Meryl Streep perform every day and learn a lot about acting. And here I was playing his uh, her son's stand-in quote son on the in the movie and there was one day where he couldn't make it on set he was just too rambunctious he was only six and they said Kara can you come into the scene and do the scene with Meryl and I'm like oh. you know suddenly I'm doing a scene with Meryl Street it's like no way and uh it was funny because it was in bed <laughs> she was cuddling him and I had to get in and be cuddled by Meryl Street so it was pretty funny uh, that's my um, my claim to fame for Mer with Merrill. So, 
it was fun. So it was having said that, have you done any recordings? You know, that's the thing I get asked all the time, and I don't know why. I guess my life has been extremely busy. I have two children. They're grown now, but they they still need you. <laughs> they still need you. Once you have children, it's like a lifelong thing. Um, but uh, And I, I do have two other jobs, too. I enjoy teaching gymnastics because of my background in baton and all that. So I teach one day a week in that because I just love doing it. It's actually a parent, parent and taught class because I like teaching the babies. It's fun. And then I also teach vocal music now, and I've been doing that for six years with a production company called Marquee, and they put on um, great community theater, um, very great, good level, good standard of um, theater up here in Newmarket, uh, which was my old home. I'm now in Mount Albert. So. But um, yeah, I drive in to uh, teach the uh, vocal classes, private vocal lessons uh, for them. So um, yeah. It's busy. So I, you know, they always say to me, I get asked all the time, do, do you do have recordings? I do have individual recordings, but I've never made like a whole CD or something. And I think I should before I finish in this career. <laughs> so I can give it to my kids to give my grandkids or something. I don't know. Probably could have made some money along the way too, but <laughs> it just hasn't been on the top of my list. So what about writing a book? Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, it, it might be because there's been some interesting things that have happened over my career that um, good stories, you know, to, to and I, certain. And, and I co-wrote a book, so, you know, I, yeah. I, I know know how it works. Well, what was your book? Tell me more about it. <laughs> Quickly. It's called The Give Back Economy. And the purpose is to show people how to start and grow a social enterprise. Oh. And the royalties go to support the work we're doing. So we don't, get, we don't get any of the royalties. Right. Yeah. So rolls back in. <laughs> yeah. So having said all this, what haven't you done that you would like to do? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I can't even say travel because in my jobs, um, I got to see most of the world. Like, well, there, there's places I haven't. So I would say probably travel a little bit eventually. Um, see my um, ancestral homeland, which is uh, Scotland. Never been there. Um, what what about then, entertainment? Right, and entertainment. Just, I, I guess, if there was ever a role that came around for an older person now, <laughs> uh, I would probably be in there like a dirty shirt to, to try it you know, um, get back on the big stage. But there, the opportunities have, have dwindled in Toronto because some of those, you know, piece, people like Mervishes are, are not doing that anywhere. They're bringing in shows, which, you know, economically it makes more sense. But for Canadian talent, it's limiting. So, and it's too bad because there is so much talent around. I mean, I see it now as, a, as an instructor, but um, yeah, opportunities have, have gone down that way. So in, in our country, for sure. Okay. But, uh, Another challenging question. Okay. Favorite song? Oh boy. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> but I would choose something outside of musical theater, actually. You know what I would choose is, um, and I love, because I love his voice, <laughs> from Journey, Don't Stop Believing. Because it's got a good, good, uh, good title, and um, 
I like it. I love the tune. I dance around to it <laughs> when it picks me up. So, yeah. Well, one of my favorites is done by a guy from Montreal. Guess who? Mm. Well, I would say uh, there's a couple. <laughs> well, Renee Samard, no? No. No. Montreal. Mm. Probably could. I'm thinking, uh, uh, no, no, he's not. No. I don't know. Alouette. Oh, okay. And, and <laughs> you've been a fan for a long time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even though he passed away, it was... Yeah, I've 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 seen it performed so many uh, different ways. Wow! On YouTube and yes, all over the place. Oh, that's neat. That's I'm I'm glad you like it. Yeah, Clark, very nice. Thank you for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Stay with me for a couple minutes as I end our formal. Uh, sure. Taping. So thank you, Kara. And thank you, Peter. <laughs>